I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. platform show. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 294. Before we chat with today's guests, yes, there's two of them today, here's a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by ISV Connected. Are you thinking about creating some IP, intellectual property? Not sure where to start? Uh, You know, you should join the only community dedicated to ISV success, isvconnected.com. Why? Because navigating the Microsoft ISV landscape is easy with friends. Sign up free today at isvconnected.com. And with that, let's uh, get our guests on the show. Today's guests are both located in the USA. One's from Atlanta and the other from California. The CEO of Click Dimension and the founder and CEO of Inside View. Uh, so Mike Dickinson and Alberto Maletti, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Great to be here. Thank you. This is unusual for me to record a podcast with two folks at the same time. So uh, it'll be interesting to see because we can't eyeball each other when you know, we're going to talk, but let's see how it goes. But before we start, Umberto, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, you, where, where you're from, you know, your family and how you got into business? Sure. Um, I grew up uh, in a place called Monza in, in Italy. It's uh, well known for those who follow race car driving because it's where the Formula One Grand Prix takes place every year. Um, so that made me passionate about cars and racing. But uh, from a business perspective, I decided that I wanted to be an engineer, that the U.S. was the place where I wanted to go to university. So I landed on these shores uh, to go to college, and I've been here since. Wow. So I tell you, do you go back to Italy much? Well, I haven't been there for the last 12 months, as you can probably <laughs> imagine. But, <laughs> um, thankfully, everybody over there is uh, is safe, at least in my family, and I'm looking yeah. forward to going back soon. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit of a pause, but otherwise, I try to go back every year or so. Nice, nice. Mike, how about you? To, to give us a bit of background on uh, your uh, what you do when you're not working and uh, and what part of the world you're located in specifically, as well as uh, how you got into doing what you're doing today. Yeah, well, I, I wish I had a really cool Formula One story like Umberto, but uh, <laughs> uh, I grew up in uh, Washington, D.C. from a family that we, you know, we're all journalists. And the joke in our family was, I was like, hey, the rest of you guys, you just report on what people do. I want to actually go do something. So I went out to the part of the world where Umberto lives now and went to school uh, at Stanford uh, because people were doing really cool things with semiconductors and software. And uh, you know, that's, that's what got me into, into the game. And then, uh, ended up back in Atlanta. Um, uh, I sold my first company and, uh, it involved me, you know, coming to Atlanta and I thought oh, I'll be here two years. And that was 30 years ago. So, uh, wow. there you have it. Incredible. Incredible. Well, you know, with today's show, I really want to focus on data and why data is kind of becoming the gold of any business these days and particularly understanding it making sure it's uh, of high quality, in other words, um, clean and on point. And that's why, you know, we've got you both on the show because both your organizations to some degree deal with data, um, well, to some degree, to a massive degree. And so first up, Alberto, tell me about when you think about data and, and, and the impact on business today, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I started Inside View uh, 15 years ago just uh, to really focus on that. 
what I what I saw at the time is that you know understanding your customers was really the foundation of any successful uh, salesperson, any successful marketing person, and that was ultimately a data problem. How much do you know about them, their business, their background, common relationships, and at the same time, data gathering can be extremely time consuming. Um, and so it was really about how do you make it easy for companies and for employees to have at their fingertips the information that they need to be successful um, in dealing with customers and prospects. And, you know, it was, it was not just about data. It's about synthesizing, analyzing it, make, making it usable making it relevant. And, you know, each one of our users has a different world. They have different target accounts. They sell a different product, different service. They work in a different company. So it really has to be highly personalized. And also it has to be easy to use. So uh, for us, that's really meant putting it inside the workflow. So anytime a salesperson, a marketing person is working within their marketing automation system, their Salesforce automation system, putting the information there and making it relevant to the specific activity that they're doing, uh, whether it's trying to have an outbound conversation or preparing for a call with an existing customer or designing a campaign. It's really about making it relevant to the place, the time, and the individual. Interesting. So so what brought the two of you together to, to, to form a partnership around data? Mike, maybe you can take that one. Yeah, sure, I can. I think... Um, it's a good uh, sort of lead into something that I think uh, I'd like to add to the conversation, which is when we talk about data, I think we always, uh, it, it's helpful to at least have an adjective involved. Um, and here's what I mean, that, that the word means so much. And um, let me uh, attach to something Umberto said, which was, he didn't talk about data. He said, it's really important to understand your customer. And um, why I think that's important is there are three areas of data that are particularly relevant uh, in driving revenue and are super relevant in today's world. And this is why Click Dimensions um, you know, partners with Inside View, because one of the three of those areas is so critical. So the first is understanding your customers and people who look like your customers. So profile, accounts, contacts, and the uh, the people in those accounts and what makes them unique so you can understand them better, as Umberto said, and that so you can personalize your interaction with them, whether it's a digital interaction or, or a, 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 you know, an actual conversation. The second thing, um, the second type of data that's important is understanding where that customer that contact is in their relationship with you. And that's just a fancy way of being able to say, you are here on the customer journey map. Um, and being able to, that's that's knowing what behavior they've done, where they've clicked, where they've been, what so that you have, you have context. So if you have the profile data, then you have their behavior data. And then the, the third area that's important, um, and I'm going to tie this all together at the end, Mark, with something that I know really matters to you. The third area is the performance. Um, and this is really not about an individual contact or company, but it's how is my business doing? What has happened in my business? Descriptive. What's Why has this happened? Diagnostic. What's going to happen? Predictive. And then prescriptive. What do I need to do to make it better? And the thing that's that um, I think is really powerful about Click Dimensions and Inside View is that being able to uh, have built a business natively on top of the dataverse, on top of a common data model, makes it possible to do some of those things that I talked about in terms of uh, behavior along the customer journey and those performance analytics. The piece we didn't have for our customers was the piece that InsideView provides and so we feel like we've got now, you know, pretty solid representation in each of those three areas that's critical to generate revenue. Yeah. So f four to five years ago, you know, I was doing a lot of presentations, um, particularly across Australia, talking about the four megatrends that were going to affect business. And data was one of those primary trends that particularly the acquisition of data now companies are doing at a phenomenal rate. And it's across their MarTech you know, technology landscape, whatever they have in place, they've got this, these siloed data sets existing. And if you like, they've got the, they've built the habit, the infrastructure, et cetera, around data acquisition. 
But what are you hearing from customers, uh, Alberto, uh, now? You know, what are they coming to you and saying, these are the problems that we need solved and can you help us? You know, one of the things that's becoming more and more top of mind for our customers is to think about their customer database in a holistic fashion and think and look for solutions to help them maintain their customer database in real time. And what I mean by that is all of our customers have a customer database that's been collected over time. It's a bunch of company names and email addresses and phone numbers and names of people, um, but it's usually highly incomplete. So they might have a company name, but not really know what industry it's in or how many employees it has or where it's located. They might have a name of an individual, but maybe an obsolete title and maybe not a phone number or an email address to get in touch with them. And so they're coming to us for technology, which, which we can help them with to maintain that customer database in real time inside their CRM system. And that's why, you know, the partnership with uh, Click Dimension is, is powerful because it's really about being able to act on current up-to-date data sets of information that reflect your actual customer base um, and all the latest changes because companies change all the time. They grow, they shrink, they go out of business, they merge. People move, 25% of uh, decision makers move every year from one company to another. So it's really about that that our customers these days are very excited about is the ability to maintain this data set and then do analytics on top of it, which has helped me understand where my white space opportunity, help me understand where I'm strong, help me understand, give me ideas of companies I should be reaching out to because they're very similar to other places where I've had success, but they're not currently in my system at all. Uh, those type of questions. We call the category customer data management um, as a way to help brands really get their arms around their customer database and make it actionable. Interesting. So so when it comes to data for both your organizations, is it is it totally focused in if you're like two categories, contact or contact lead and account. Is that is that the key key focus areas? That's those are the two key elements that kind of create the dictionary of information. It's the decision makers and the companies. And then there's a lot of metadata that gets layered on top of that. So you can think, for example, of intent data, which is information that would tell you which companies and which people are in market for specific products and services based on what kind of web searches are doing and what kind of websites they visit. Or you might have technographic data, which is information about the type of IT technology that each company uses internally that gives you an idea of what other type of technology they're likely to uh, buy in the future. Or uh, we call them sales triggers or real-time events that tell you which companies are doing acquisitions, which other companies are launching new products, uh, which other companies are announcing partnerships. So all those metadatas or those vertical data sets or specialized data sets, they attach themselves to the two core elements of companies and people. So, Mike, in the, in the last three to four years, what are you seeing has changed? Is particularly from a customer perspective and their use of data, uh, what are you seeing? Yeah, you know, I think there's a there's a wide spectrum of companies, um, and whether you plot them on a maturity model or what have you, um, the potential to be able to use the kind of data that Umberto just talked about. Uh, you know, a deeper understanding of your customer and of, of where people are in intent and so on. The potential to be able to use that to get the right message to the right people in an organization at the right time, um, you know, that potential exists. I will tell you, based on our, you know, 3,400 customers, um, most folks don't even have, they don't know how to use that. It is overwhelming. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I look at this particular pandemic moment, I see, uh, you know, a couple of challenges. Uh, yes, I could, you know, say, look, here's what you need to do to get the freshest, most accurate uh, customer account and contact data. And then you augment it with intent and augment it with enrich it with other sort of firmographic, psychographic data. And I can tell you all sorts of uh, great things about that. But right now in this, in this exact moment, in a B2B context, and that's where we live in the B2B context, probably the biggest single problem is, is just can be boiled down to 
oh my gosh, I used to get 70 to 75% of my new revenues from sales activities, the other 25 to 30 from marketing. And now that's 70 to 75%. I can't do that anymore. And it's not just because I can't go to a trade show and my salespeople can't take people to sporting events. It's because the the buyers on the other end, they don't want to see me. They want to do a Zoom call or a Teams call and turn off the camera and multitask. So imagine this for a, just a thought experiment. <laughs> You're a CEO and somebody says, the way that you've been getting 70 to 75% of your revenue is broken and it's not going to be fixed with a vaccine. Um, so, you know, when I look at uh, the challenges that companies have today, um, you know, it starts with one pretty simple one, which is they need to be able to go out and find more prospects. And then that's just the beginning of, of uh, you know, pulling on the thread of the sweater. There's a lot more that comes behind that. And again, from our experience, um, you know, we, we have uh, a lot of companies that were not digital first before the pandemic. And now here they are in a world where they have to be digital first after the pandemic. And um, it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. There's a couple of points I want to pick up on, on what you've said there. But but before we go there, you know, if I look at both your products, Inside View, I came across, I don't know how many years ago now, was is actually very early um, uh, in becoming an MVP that Inside View from memory did a deal with Microsoft and it was included as part of the CRM platform back then. And I remember, you know, because I, I spent a lot of my career in pre-sales, you know, taking that product, typing in a company name, and then it just lighting up with all the data and and the amount of, you know, uh, customers that really bought into CRM because of that inside view feature was phenomenal because they could see that they didn't have to go out and copy and paste and, you know, control C, control V, all that data into their system. That was, you know, right there. And this is interesting because I was coming from the Southern Hemisphere where, you know, most data sets, where they come from Dun & Bradstreet or any of the other players in market, generally are very strong in America, very weak outside America. But we found we're getting good results um, in Australia at the time. So so that's my first foray into Inside View and really saw that it helped enrich data sets, give me timely information about the accounts particularly that I was working with. Then on the Click Dimension side, you know, there would virtually never be a project that we would do for a customer without Click Dimensions being attached as well. So they're always primarily in every pre-sales engagement. Now, that landscape has changed a lot over the last few years. Where where, uh, do both your products sit now within the Microsoft ecosystem and being part of that engagement um, or or being, you know, bundled in with with a Microsoft implementation? Are you seeing it increase, decrease? What what are the trends and patterns you're seeing? Maybe I'll... I'll start. Um, I think what you saw early on has really become uh, the norm uh, these days. Um, I think the importance of making CRM uh, helpful to the end user, and we all know that many salespeople will view CRM as something that's not particularly helpful to them, but it's really for management. By putting information in there that helps a salesperson make the next phone call, reach out to the next customer, have something relevant to say, uh, is now extremely common. Um, It doesn't mean every company has implemented some level of sales intelligence, but whether they use our product or Zoom Info or something of that sort, I think it's gone from being something that was um, uh, new to something that's now fairly uh, mainstream. Um, and, And I think now companies are starting to look beyond how do I give information to my salespeople, but how do I as a company get better at going to market? Um, And how do I as a company spend more time with the right customer? Now, I can't do that just by giving information to my salespeople because what happens if they're spending time with the wrong customers? And I should be giving them some direction to say, this is a good list of accounts for these reasons. Focus here, and this is where the gold is, and don't waste time on these other accounts that are really less relevant to you, or maybe these other people um, that are less relevant uh, to you. So that's the evolution that I'm, I've seen over the last four or five years in adoption. Mm-hmm. What do you about you, Mike? Yeah, I, I think um, the way we look at things is that the, the bar has gotten higher in terms of uh, uh, properly prioritizing your efforts, just as Umberto says, um, and being particularly relevant. And, and, and in this you know pandemic moment, it's only gotten more 
the bar has gotten higher. And here's why, because there's a limited amount of digital attention. And, uh, you know, if you can't go sit in someone's office and interrupt them and make them pay attention to you, the techniques that you have are really, you have to, you have to provide something that's a value and you have to get the right, uh, you have to get something that, that attacks, uh, attaches to their interest. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's a harder, uh, set of things to do. You used to be able to have salespeople who would just through charm, brute force, whatever they could figure out how to get people's attention. That's no longer working. So I think that we're at the, you know, the beginning of a period of pretty massive transformation, um, and change evolution is probably a better way that of, of the way, um, revenue happens and the way that sales and marketing happens. So I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, that we see as a challenge is that the, you know, the tools have been out there, um, but the ability to go figure out things like, oh, we do need to uh, re-approach uh, our data management, our customer data management. We do need to think about uh, what a coherent uh, customer journey really looks like. And we do need to figure out how to get more people going on customer journeys. And we can't do it the same way that we did before. So we've got to change our resource and change our spending around. There's, there's a lot of uh, of evolution that's going to happen. It's going to have to happen over the next uh, couple of years here. And and again, I think that the biggest problem is probably not you know either what uh, Umberto does uh, in, in organizing data or what we do in building software, but is in actually helping companies figure out how to get where they need to go and holding their hand along the way. I think this is, you know, um, maybe a little bit provocative for a software company, but I think this is a, a time for services for sure, as people try mm -hmm. and figure out how to, how to manage through this. So, so I, I find it interesting in, in the changes that I have seen is that it's, it seems to be a lot harder now to maybe get into the accounts, particularly if you're doing account, you know, based uh, targeting um, or account-based management of, of, from a customer perspective, how do you, with your combined technologies, how do you address this issue of getting to the right person to have that right conversation? And, and let me just preface this, like, um, sometimes I wonder, is the phone dead? Like, the concept of using the phone, like, if I look at all my interactions in the past 12 months, very few of them involved my actual phone number. They were Teams calls, meetings, you know, predominantly done in Teams or Zoom. Um, and I'm wondering is, you know, traditionally in the past, you'd get your sales folks to get on the phones and, you know, call down and find those new opportunities and um, educate your customers, that type of thing. But, you know, nowadays I turn to something like LinkedIn and I um, would target accounts based on, you know, uh, once again, I did the, the accounts already being identified. That's not the issue. It's about finding those stakeholders, those decision makers in those accounts. And what I've found is that, you know, although LinkedIn is good, it doesn't address the issue with what if the customer, what if that person that you're trying to target, the potential prospect doesn't really use LinkedIn. In other words, they yeah, they have a profile. They use it when they are looking for a new job, maybe, but they, you know, I'm on LinkedIn 50 times a day type thing. Always, you know, it's it's one of my my lifeblood systems, but I'm unique in that. And I notice that particularly the minute you get out of tech, out of the tech landscape or the tech uh, as a target customer. People don't use LinkedIn anywhere as much as what we think in the tech environment. So how do you help customers, your customers, if you like, reach those target audiences that they need to engage with that are not necessarily just knocking on the door and saying, hey, we want your product or service today. Um, you know, sometimes they need to be taken on an education journey around how, you know, the product or service you're wanting to sell them is going to impact positively their business. How are you addressing those gaps? Yeah, I'll take a run at that. Um I've seen the market find look for the the you know the the gold answer on this channel is the answer. I remember the early days back. I'm going to date myself. Um, I think it was late '90s. I was talking to an executive of a, a market email marketing company, and he was telling me how the first campaign for Cisco had a 50% uh, click through rate. Uh, five zero, right? Because back then we got like six emails a day, and we would look at each one of them. Um, and it was exciting if they had a link on it and we would just click on it, right? 
Um, and so, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, but I can tell you having a salesperson reach out to me on LinkedIn with some generic message is even more annoying than having received that via email. Because I feel like LinkedIn is supposed to be a little bit of my, a private space where I'm there to network. And for them to interrupt that without my permission with something completely irrelevant is even worse than them doing that on email. So I think the answer that I've been giving to our customers since day one and remains the same regardless of channel is you have to have something relevant to say. And first of all, you have to be relevant to that person and that company, which means you have to do some work ahead of time to make sure you're targeting people and companies where you can be relevant. And then secondly, you have to tailor your message with something that shows that prospect that you actually spend the time to do some tailoring. And now it can be mass tailoring. It can be done from a marketing perspective, which is we have segmented the market. Here's a market segment that's very, very specific. There's certain things about them that are common. And so we're going to tailor them for that perspective. Or it can be done to individual salesperson who has done enough research and account to have something relevant to say. I think it's unfair to any decision maker for somebody to reach out to them and expect their time to respond to you if you have put no time into preparing yourself for that conversation. So then the question is, how do you make this bar of reach out with relevance so uh, easy to do and so productive that no salesperson, no marketing person has an excuse not to do it anymore? And it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is find, feed them something relevant that they can say for every single outreach, maybe something that happened recently to that company, someone you know in common, and use that to tailor your message regardless of what your channel is for outreach. Yeah, interesting. Mike? Yeah, I, I uh, 100% agree with uh, with Umberto, especially around the uh, not only the need for relevance, because there's a global attention deficit. I mean, there's more stuff coming at us. We all know this in our lives. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, smiling at the thought of a, of a, of a world where someone only got six emails. Is that six emails a minute? Um, you know, <laughs> the, uh, um, but being, being relevant is important. Absolutely. And I just, a, a message to everybody out there, please don't waste other people's time. I mean, to your point, Umberto, for God's sakes, it's it's uh, it's rude as heck to to go interrupt somebody with something that's not relevant to them. But here's the point I was going to make, Mark. That is, if you were to divide um, selling activity into two parts, the first part I'll call prospecting, meaning trying to uh, you know work with a potential a buyer, a contact of some kind, to help them see that there is a reason for them to invest their time with you and ultimately to start a commercial conversation, which would be the pursuit. So if you have prospecting is the first part, pursuit is the second part. I would argue that as, uh, you know, just a, a profession, more resources have to go to that prospecting to the front part because um, it does take longer to, um, to help cultivate attention and interest. And, uh, you know, I think companies are going to have to figure out how to take money from the bottom of the funnel, which is where historically it's been for those super heroic sales closers and figure out how to get it to the top of the funnel, which includes, you know, a variety of things, not the least of which are people who are just trying to develop that relevance and, and cultivate a relationship. So I think, uh, you're going to see a lot of, uh, of uh, sort of shifting from the bottom to the top of the funnel in terms of personnel. Mm. The, the thing is, with, with any type of bulk communication, I think there's been a shift in the market where there's now a segment of one. If you look at the, uh, the, the CDP Institute, they're talking more and more around uh, almost hyper-personalization, which you've both mentioned here, the need to really do the research up front, make sure the communication is actually on point, that you, you know who you're talking to. How is your technologies helping for this, um, this segment of one and making sure that, you know, that the tailoring of the message is on point, that it's not just generic, like how's the weather and, you know, kind of, well, you know, in other words, how do you make it so that that communication, whatever channel it goes down, whether it's email uh, text message, I am any of those those different type of channels, social, et cetera. How are you making sure that there's the ability to create 
scale, but personal hyper personalization with yeah. scale. Let, let me jump in on that one because um, this is an, a very important point of of, of uh, sort of our philosophy about things. Um, and we do, I mean, per- relevance is personal by definition. Uh, I think one of the things that I would encourage folks out there to think about is that um, the, think about interactions in two forms, uh, automated and digital and digitally assisted. And here's um, something for folks to think about. There's this sort of idea that um, you know salespeople should only focus on those leads who've demonstrated intent to buy. And my gosh, you're an expensive resource. Don't waste your time on somebody who isn't ready to buy. And that may be right for for that particular salesperson's comp plan. But from a company perspective, um, the reality is that cus- that companies interact with brands for two and three years. Um, very often before they get into a buying frame. And I think that what's, uh, you know, what the, the most successful strategies is being able to segregate known suspects, is what we call them, people who are the right persona, uh, the right ideal customer profile, and those relationships you need to keep nurturing. And it may be two and it may be three years. And one of the great things about Inside View is being able to have that accurate data to be able to use those on deeper nurture and then shift to when somebody is in uh, more consideration, even before they get to buying mode. And that's when you want to have a human in to help um, you know, play concierge and curate the, the, the sort of data. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I would say that you're going to see people do is look at, um, contact nurturing, uh, timeframes that are much, much longer than they, they do now. The second thing is, and this is, uh, something that the B2C world has figured out is you've got to, you've got to manage frequency and, um, uh, you know, message. And if you're pounding somebody with a marketing automation system like Click Dimensions, and then you're also pounding them with a uh, sales development rep, uh, you you um, irritate and insult people. So figuring out how to manage that frequency uh, across multiple channels is uh, is uh, you know where some of the real magic happens. So I think that um, you know. Something to, to think about is that real difference in uh, when do you bring the human in and just because it's not in the sales cycle or, you know, where somebody's not going to make their commission this year doesn't mean that that relationship is an important asset to your yeah. company that needs to be nurtured over time. Are you seeing organizations or transition, you know, as an away from like my experiences now, if I'm involved in sales, I'm just one of uh multiple stakeholders in the sale as in in driving this outcome. So it's much more team-based selling, I feel, nowadays rather than, you know, one rock star maybe. And and I'm talking a B2B world here. 100%, 100%. But it's more in the tech side. You see that more just as your point about LinkedIn. You're seeing that in technology companies, but you're not necessarily seeing that in HVAC or industrial, you know, wiring companies. I don't know. Umberto may see things differently. Yeah, you know, I was I was gonna quote my roots, a uh, Latin uh, saying, which is in the in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Um, and you know, ju- judge on the outreach that I receive as a potential buyer. Do you know what the most common outreach to me is from a salesperson? It is to ask me who in my company is is in charge of marketing or IT and all that. <laughs> That's the most common outreach. So. <laughs> Yeah. I don't want our audience but high value added outreach. <laughs> that's a pretty low bar, right? That's that's we are in the land of the blind. So I, I don't want to get our audience scared that you know everything has to be super 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 tailored. Just a pretty basic uh, uh, evidence that you took the time to do something that is relevant to that individual um, is is I think a, a pretty good bar that everybody can can cross over. And so what we do from a technology perspective. You know, with our uh, sales product, we make it so that every time you look at a lead or a contact or an opportunity in a little window, we'll surface for you two key things. One of them is something that happened to that company recently that you can refer back to. And number two is people who you know in common with that individual. 90% of the time, one of those two things will be enough to very quickly 
create a tailored email that already sets you apart for 90% of the sales outreachers that are out there. So just starting small and making it really easy and really simple makes it so that people, salespeople will start doing it on a regular basis because why wouldn't you do it to take the two minutes if it's right in front of you, you know, in your CRM system, actionable. Do do you think the, the as an, an, uh, it's crazy that I'm asking you this because I kind of feel like it's a no-brainer that one shouldn't, but are you still seeing things like cold calling? And I'm talking about using phones as a form of engagement still happening across the industry at all? It's happening. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that there's... Is it effective? Like, are, are people doing it because they're still getting results or is it just because they haven't evolved? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I think, you know, um, you got to... I think I think most successful outreach strategies are multi-touch these days because, you know, there's no way to know if your buyer would prefer to receive something via email, via phone call... Uh, through online advertising via LinkedIn. And, you know, the, the cost of outreach is so low these days that you might as well, you know, try a few different ways um, that are relevant to that. But I'm sure there are people who still pick up the phone. I'm not one of them. I really don't know who they are. I don't know if, if, if they're people who have decision power or not. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, as I look at our successful sales processes, they're almost always involved in buying committee, not just one individual, and they're developed over time. And it's really about being consistently relevant and persistent and never leaving it to, I'm going to do this one phone call or 100 phone calls. And that's my uh, route to success. But really having a process for targeting those accounts that you talked about, multiple buyers, multiple personas with a relevant message. In March 2020, you know, COVID kind of really hit the world. We went, we had lockdowns. We had uh, a totally different way of doing business. You know, the the concept of doing everything remote or you know teleconferencing that type of thing. You know, webinars became front and center. What have you seen in your businesses? Not so much the impact on your own personal businesses. We'll go there in a moment. But what are you seeing from? from your customers and how they're using data now, um, no matter what, and let's take the tech landscape, as I'm sorry, let's take tech industry, you know, software selling, that type of thing out of the picture. And let's look at, say, healthcare or, you know, you mentioned um, HVAC systems and things like that. What are you seeing for across the market in the customer bases that you already have? What has been the impact of COVID and how has that driven uh, engagement with your organizations when it comes to data? Mike, you want to take a cut of that and I'll give, I'll give my perspective? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and we have a lot of customers who are you know spread across multiple industries, not just tech. And um, there are a couple of things that, uh, that we see. First, um, there is a bit of desperation, um, especially in industries that are used to uh, finding prospects and networking in a very physical way. So I think you know, to to the extent that uh, um, people are spraying and praying or smiling and dialing, um, there's a little bit of, oh, my God, we've got to get some revenue. So we see a little bit of that. What I see being successful, though, is goes back to many of the things that, uh, that we talked about, which was, um, you know, multi-touch to try and demonstrate that you're worth my time, mm-hmm. um, that you've got something that has got my attention that is relevant to me, that solves a problem. And then fine, I'm happy to get on to a Zoom call or a Teams call. Oh, and by the way, everybody better be a, uh, you know, a video star uh, because you can quickly present uh, information. And if it's not compelling, they turn off the camera and they multitask. Um, But so, you know, I'm absolutely seeing some people figuring out how to be successful in uh, in their you know remote selling and and guess what the buyers prefer it they want to be able to look at, at content when they want to look at it and when they are interacting they prefer to interact remotely for the most part because it's just more efficient and they're busy and they can you know virtual delete by uh, turning off the camera and by saying I'm sorry I just got to go so um, it's uh, the game's changed and it's not it's not going back. Yeah. I would, yeah. Interesting. I would agree with that. Um, I would say that 
the movement was already underway. So the shift from in-person marketing and in-person selling towards digital marketing and digital selling was already underway. And the pandemic just accelerated it tremendously. It, it was kind of like a four-step function change. Um, and I think a lot of our, I know that a lot of our customers are finding that, you know, lo and behold, uh, it's a lot more efficient and trackable and measurable to be able to do things virtually because you can measure every step of the way, you can scale it a lot more effectively. It doesn't mean that, you know, face-to-face will never exist ever again, but, you know, it will never go back to the way it was before. And frankly, shouldn't because not only our customers find more efficiency, but their buyers, uh, to Mike's point earlier, they're not that interested in spending a whole bunch of time, you know, in physical events or face-to-face meetings with salespeople when they don't have to. Everybody's finding the efficiency of a more digital world. Uh, and I think that's here to stay as well. So as we draw to a close here, tell me, and we'll start with you, uh, Alberto, tell me what, if you, you had crystal ball in front of you and you could, well, not even that, based on what you know now, what does the future look in, you know, in a maybe post-COVID world um, uh, when it comes to how businesses are, are going to continue to evolve, engage, if you're looking two, three years out, what, sure. what are kind of trends, patterns that your data is telling yeah. you? And, and here I'm talking specifically about, about B2B um, and sales and marketing uh, mm-hmm. as a focus. Um, what, what we'll see happen is more and more the companies are going to spend their time and energy understanding who their ideal customers are mapping out what that market looks like and try to spend as much of their time and energy uh, talking and pursuing those that market um, and as opposed to just randomly uh, spraying and praying that something happens, which will mean in turn uh, increased investment in systems of record and CRM systems that enable that, um, an increased focus on enhancing your customer database and your market understanding. So you have a really good read on you know, who those companies and customers are, uh, focusing on kind of account-based, you know, go-to-market activities. Um, because as I said earlier, everybody's realizing that these days decisions get made by multiple people within an account, not uh, one person. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing some really, and starting to see already, some really interesting output uh, of using AI and machine learning on all that data to prescribe, um, you know, most effective activities, most most useful um, uh, content to share, most promising customers, most likely to convert, um, and using relying more and more on technology to guide our efforts. Yeah, interesting, Mike. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with all of that. I would maybe um, sort of emphasize two areas. One is the longer view of audiences. And that uh, those ideal customers, the ones where you should be spending time, are ones that you need to know about and stick with, not just during this year's compensation season, but over the long term. And I think that we go from you know what I've heard people call random acts of marketing to perpetual demand gen. And I think uh, segmenting those audiences, uh, you know, over time frames and duration uh, is going to be important. I absolutely see the power of what Umberto talked about in terms of using AI to drive next best action, to identify um, uh, areas for optimization in the journey or in the sales motions. Um, but to do that, I think one of the tricky things is you have to have um, uh, a level of operational organization. Now, I'm talking about a different kind of data here, not the contact and, and uh, account data. I'm talking about how do you instrument your process so that it has consistent milestones so that you can measure what's different. Um, you know, and you think about on just a website, a clickstream analyzer. Well, think about that across you know, that sales organization that you talked about, Mark, which is what we see where the roles are starting to be specialized. People are focusing on prospecting. People are focusing on closing. And um, the final thing that I'd sort of throw into the mix is 
Um, I, you know, a lot of people talk about sales and marketing alignment. I think that's, um, that's going to get thrown out the window. Why? Because I don't think alignment is the right thing. I think sales and marketing unification is what matters. It's that relationship, the journey, and it may take three years and it needs to be, uh, you know, managed from the, from the prospects perspective, not from the organizational or budgetary consideration of the company that's trying to sell stuff. So I think that in order to take, um, you know, advantage of HI or AI, um, and to be able to do some of the things that are, you're going to have to do to find prospects in a world where prospects don't want you to come see them. Uh, I think we're going to have to uh, redo some process, redo some organization, and ultimately shift dollars from the bottom of the funnel to top of the funnel activities. Mm-hmm. So, so before you jump onto some quick fire questions, which are totally random, what I'm keen to know is the partnership that you have formed. How does that outwork today? Is is there resources that the audience can go and look at? gain understanding of uh, one, Umberto, from your side, how uh, accurate, insightful data in CRM is something you just can't have people manually updating to keep accurate. And and Mike, from your side, um, uh, how does that partnership come together with what Click Dimensions is doing? Can you give me kind of, um, yeah, how can people physically outsee the working of this partnership? What's the, the value um, to to customers, to Microsoft partners, implementers that are that are that are working with Microsoft Biz Apps. Yeah, on the inside view. Yeah, on the inside view, and it's pretty straightforward. Just uh, insideview.com. Um, we have a lot of information that talks about how we help customers, case studies. Uh, we also have people who can help, uh, and are you know more than happy to jump on a call with the with a company, help and think about how to leverage uh, information to improve the go to market efforts. Nice. I think, um, you know, we are now uh, seven, eight months into our partnership with InsideView, and I have such a deeper appreciation for the data problem uh, in the enterprise. And I'm going to speak, you know, I'll focus on the customer data problem, but those other two uh, problems are are very real. And, and if you just solve one, uh, you know, I'm not sure you get all the way to where you need to be. What I, you know, when we got into this partnership early on, Umberto was, um, he was very um, uh, gentle about saying, look, there's some complexity that goes on with this, with helping companies organize their data. And um, that complexity is very often around jurisdictions, around decision-making in an organization, who actually knows whether this is one of this type of customer or that type of customer. And, um, you know, we, we uh, specifically went slowly as we started on this partnership and have realized that there was, um, you know, a lot more consulting work to really set things up to take advantage of not just a one-time diagnosis, which is great to tell you uh, the state of your data estate, um, and not just to get you set up to be able to keep that data up to date on an automated evergreen basis, which is just a, a godsend. Um, but you know, when we look at the business and, and our, our customer base tends to be a little bit smaller than, um, the inside view, typical customer base, we're always trying to look at things at scale. And, um, what we realize is, Wow, to, to actually do this at scale and to do it at a price point um, that works for uh, SMB companies, you know, takes a lot of uh, t- takes a lot more work than than you know we had imagined. Uh, you know, it's easy to get somebody set up and start sending out newsletters to ten million people. It's a little bit harder to. Um, to help companies think through how their data should be organized, even if it's just contacts and accounts. Um, it's There's more complexity under there than I think folks know. And I think that's the, that's the great opportunity for, for us. And it's what our sort of mission is. How can we make this um, not so scary, not so overwhelming, not so complicated? And how can we make it push button easy like we try and make everything else to click dimensions? Um, and it's, you know, it's been eye opening and it's been a lot of fun. Um, but ultimately if, you know, companies are going to be successful in a digital, in a world where customers want to buy digitally first, uh, the people who are able to solve these type of problems are going to do, uh, are going to do pretty well. Awesome. 
I'll make sure I include links to all the show notes. Okay, I'd like to wrap up with uh, uh, some quick-fire questions. There'll be three each. Are you ready to go? These are random. Let's do it. Okay, Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, what's the thing you like that creeps other people out? Extremely exotic food from soft-shell turtle to fried jellyfish. Wow. Yeah, I've never had, I've never had jellyfish. Definitely, I've never had turtle either, of course. Alberto, what is something you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? Everybody should do at least once in their life. Um, travel outside of the country. Yeah. It's funny, you know, when I first went to America, I couldn't believe how many people hadn't traveled or didn't even have a visa. Blew my mind. Um, Mike, if you could live in a sitcom, which one would it be and why? I could live in a sitcom. Yeah. Well, I'm just sitting here going, I don't want to live in Friends. That, you know, we're Seinfeld. Yeah. That's not, you know, uh, cool. Yeah, possibly the Big Bang Theory. I think I might do the Big Bang Nice. Theory. I like it. I like it. Umberto, what was the first music you ever bought? First music I ever bought. I'm going to mm. guess here because I have no idea, but I'd say maybe ACDC's Back in Black. I love it. Good Australian That's band. Right. Perfect. <laughs> I grew up on that music. Uh, Mike, would you rather die before your partner or after? That's a toughie. Before? Yeah. <laughs> Final one, Umberto. What's your best scar story? My best what story? Scar, you know, did you get like, your leg chopped off in a motorcycle battle, battle accident? Battle wound? Or, like a, yeah, battle wound. My best scar story. Um, yeah, how I got that scar. How I got that scar. I have a lot of scars, actually, it turns out. Wow. Uh, I think at last count, I had uh, more than 35 stitches in the in my on my body. Wow. The best one is um, uh, chasing my sister and flying through a glass uh, door oh. uh, and end up with uh, cuts all the way from my wrist to my face. Wow. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll make sure, as I say, we get all these links, etc., in the show notes. Uh, thanks for coming. Great to be with you, Mark. And Umberto, as always, great to be with you. That was fun, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Business Application, MVP Mark Smith, also known as the NZ365 Guy. Remember, full show notes uh, for anything we discussed can be found in the show notes. Um, if there's anything uh, that you would like to discuss about today's podcast, please reach out to me. If you have a guest that you'd like to see come on the show, please let me know. And with that, stay safe out there and see you next time.